Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories, and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with us here today. Today, as always, we celebrate you. We're grateful for the time that you take out of your schedule to, uh, you know, spend some time with us to up-level your life and your business. You see, and I say it a lot, but I want to make sure you understand, if you have a great business and a crummy life, your crummy life is going to show up in your business. And if you have a great life and a crummy business, your crummy business is going to show up in your life. It just, you know, you can't separate the two, especially as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, you can have a job that is temporary. It's for now. It's not completely fulfilling. And you can live with that for a while. If you live with it too long, it becomes a problem in your life. But, um, you know, you can decide to do. I love how Lisa Nichols calls it your investor. You know, you know what you're doing. You probably have already even started your business, but you keep that nine to five job as an investor into your business until your business is big enough that you can move on to, uh, you know, to doing that full time. And, and, and so, you know, with just a job, we can quantify it and be like, you know, hey, this is just a job. This is just temporary. It's just for now. But when we're running our business, when the heart and soul and core of our passion is playing out as the means to provide for ourselves and our family, um, as well as all the people in the world that we're meant to serve, um, if there's brokenness in that, it shows up in your life. And the same is true conversely. You know, if, uh, you know, there is terror, opposition, abuse, um, issues, big or small, at home, they will show up in our business. Now, again, in either of those circumstances, temporarily, you we're going to have snags as we go through uh, our business. It just is. You know, there is no perfect business. If you find the perfect business, don't have anything to do with it because as soon as you join it, it won't be. Um, you know, because what that means is is that it may seem perfect from the outside, but when you get into anything, you realize that, you know, at the end of the day, Work is work, and there's some work involved with it. It can be incredibly fulfilling, massively, overwhelmingly fulfilling. But there are those days when you've got to do your taxes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and so long-term brokenness, either side of the equation as an entrepreneur, in the business or at home, will begin to show up. Um, and a lot of us... Uh, you know, pretend that that's not true, but it really is. And so we need to understand that we want to thrive in both our life and our business. And I attempt every time on the show to 
relay both things in your own personal life as well as things in your business so that you can show up and really thrive. Now keep in mind, I've defined it before, but for those of you who are new, I wanna help you understand, being a thriving entrepreneur doesn't mean you live a perfect life, doesn't mean that you don't have issues in your life, it simply means that you're living out your purpose. And see, it's that purpose and passion that drives us. Going back to what I said just a few minutes ago, every business is going to have those days, those moments. You know, you're uh, you're going to have extreme ups, but you're also going to have extreme downs. Your company is going to grow, and then you're going to have growing pains because you've never been at that level before, and now you need to figure out how to work things at that level. And that, you know, that just applies at every level of our business from, uh, you know, inception and concept to possibly working as a parallelpreneur all the way through multinational conglomerates. I mean, sometimes we look at companies like Amazon who is just raking in the dough, but you know, they have issues. I mean, I, I saw an article just like a day or two ago that the shuttle bus that um, transports employees for Google accidentally, uh, you know, actually ran over and killed one of the employees. I mean, it wasn't on purpose, but it's an issue. You know, it's something you've got to deal with, and it's probably not something at the level that you're at right now you're thinking about, you know, a whole bus full of people that you shuttle from one campus to another or from a faraway parking lot to the main building because, um, and I don't know if you've ever seen Google's campus, but I mean, it's huge. It's it's bigger than most colleges. <laughs> um, you know, and so that's a, a new issue. You know, they there's the saying, new level, new devil. And we, at every point, have that. But it's our passion. It's our purpose that propels us and drives us through those times when, you know, the business isn't as fun. It isn't all bright and cheery and rosy. And that's why and what it means to live as a thriving entrepreneur isn't that you've reached perfection but just simply that you're living in the core of your passion and your purpose that your life is fulfilled because you're fulfilling what you need to fulfill in your life I hope that makes sense I I feel like sometimes when I say those kind of things people get caught in the uh, circular, cyclical nature of it, but um, you need to understand our life reflects into our business, and our business reflects into our life, and that's actually a really, really good thing. But once we embrace that, we can then really begin to thrive because we can really, truly have a lifestyle. Um, I've mentioned her many times, you know, I've had her on the show a couple of times, my good friend Nafisa Shireen, um, her whole business revolves around the starting concept of what life do you want to live? And that's so integral because you need to build your business around what you really want in life. Um, you know, 
traveling, I, I could tell you from experience, you know, because I spent years uh, on the road, um, and, uh, and, and when I was a young adult, I loved it. I, I loved just traveling around. I, I really had visions of never having a house. <laughs> you know, just honestly, it's like, I'll never live anywhere. I'll just be on the road for the rest of my life. Um, as I've gotten older, um, as I've been the person who was the primary driver for, uh, you know, van loads of people and different types of things, both in life and business, um, you know, I've become more and more of a homebody these days traveling around and and having no place to call home just doesn't sound as exciting and appealing as it did when I was 18 and that's okay but the point is is that if you want to have a life where you're on the road 300 350 days out of the year then you need to have a business that supports that because if you're stuck at home and you never get out on the road, you won't find life fulfillment. And conversely, if you really don't like being out and on the road, but yet you're traveling 300 or 350 days out of the year, you're going to hate that. I absolutely promise you. I've spent enough time living on the road that I know that it just isn't for some people. And it will, I mean, it's a life killer. It's a soul sucker. So you're probably noticing as I'm talking here that there's kind of a thread throughout all that I've said, and that's all about um, things that create a less than life. And that's really what we want to focus on today. Um, one of the primary things that I think all of us struggle with in, in varying degrees has to do with our health, with our nutrition, especially with food. Um, regardless of how good or bad you're doing with food, um, you know, you got to eat every day. Um, an alcoholic could go the rest of their life without alcohol. Um, but a food addict has to still eat that food every day, um, you know, and needs to find healthy ways to to deal with and to nourish our bodies in a way that makes it, um, you know, really successful in our life. Now, I want to make sure that for those of you who don't understand, this is not my specialty. It's something that I'm very much a student sitting right here with you, listening and learning. And I'm so delighted with the guest that I've got for you today. This gentleman is going to blow your mind. As him and I were talking and recording, um, you know, the time that he spent with us that he's going to share with you today, I was overwhelmed. I was amazed. I'm grateful for the information. I already feel forever changed from having heard it, and I look forward to doing more with him. Um, we're going to dive into that. We're going to go deep into talking about some things that can really, I mean, it really help you live a thriving life and in living that thriving life be the most thriving business that you possibly could be it's so important 
and I don't want you to feel alone. First of all, I want you to understand that there is definitely no judgment on where you happen to be in life today with this episode, because if somebody was going to be judged in this episode, I would be at the top of that list. I have a lot of weight to deal with, um, and I'm committed to doing it. Um, and I've struggled with it, and I've been open and honest on different episodes of this show and brought to you different coaches that I've dealt with that have helped me in varying degrees. And um, so I'm right there with you. Um, if you find that um, either food is an issue for you or you don't think it's an issue for you, I encourage you to listen to this episode anyway because there are some really deep insights into who we are as people, how we really show up in the world. Um, and as our life progresses, different things become issues. And um, having this information will not only help you, but it will probably help somebody that you really care about in life. This is going to be an amazing episode from a best-selling author who has an amazingly impactful book that's going to help you change you revolutionize your relationship with food. Now, how's that for, for a huge promise that we now have to live up to? Like I said, I was blown away in this conversation, and I want you to be hyped. I want you to be excited about it so that you come back from this first commercial break with pen and paper and a mind opened, ready to be transformed because of the information that we're getting ready to bring to you. I know that you want to live your best life. I want that for you too. Kathy and I are here not only to help you share your message with the world, but to really truly help you live as a thriving entrepreneur. We want to see that in show up in your life and in your business. And I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Feel free throughout the show or after the show to hashtag Thriving Entrepreneur in, in social media and share with us the breakthroughs and the insights that you got today as we all work together on this important issue in our life so that we can all live as a thriving entrepreneur. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to WeHelp.com youthrive.com check us out and find out how you can be a best-selling author today welcome back to thriving entrepreneur 
This is Steve. Welcome back. No more introduction necessary. We're going to jump right into it. Get ready to transform your relationship with food and really have a breakthrough today as we begin to talk about this very important subject that we all deal with in our lives. All right. Binging is something that all of us do, whether it be food, TV shows, there are some things people binge on these days. Um, and if you happen to be one of the few people who don't, um, well, then please send us an email because we'd all like to know why. No, seriously, I've got a great guest today, and his book is entitled Never Binge Again. I'm really interested to hear about this. Welcome my guest, Glenn Livingston. Hey, Glenn, how are you doing today? Hey, how are you? I'm doing great, yeah. So um, in this particular case, we are talking specifically about food binges. Is that correct? This is a book about food. Sure is. Just want to make sure that all the binge watchers out there can just, uh, you know, breathe a sigh of relief. (laughs) You you can actually apply the principles to regulate your TV watching as well. And some people do. But the book is very squarely about how to stop overeating or eating beyond your own best judgment. And I am really, really interested in hearing all about this. First thing I'd like to do is just have you tell us a little bit about who you are and what led you to, uh, you know, knowing how to help people not binge. I'm a formerly fat psychologist and multi-million dollar consultant to the food industry and the pharmaceutical industry, unfortunately, on the second part. And I had a very serious binge eating problem myself for most of my life. I came from a family of psychologists, so I mean, the running joke was if something broke in the house, we all know how to ask it how it feels, but nobody knows how to fix it, and that becomes a little more relevant later on. But um, but I, I when I was seventeen, I discovered that because I was six four and reasonably muscular, I could um, eat whatever I wanted to as long as I worked out for a couple hours a day, more like three hours a day. And when I got a little older and I had a wife and responsibilities, I just didn't have the time to keep working out like that. But my eating actually got worse because I, I think a lot of these foods, they take hold of you once you get them in your system past a certain level. And I couldn't stop thinking about food. I would be sitting with a suicidal patient or with a couple just after an affair. And those are things you have to be really, really present for. And I would be thinking about when I could get a whole pizza or a box of donuts or you know, get over to the deli. And I was suffering. I was suffering a lot. I, I couldn't figure out how to stop. And I was getting heavier and heavier. And my triglycerides were through the roof. About 1,100 or so was the highest I remember. Got an actual test that says they were 826. And the doctors were telling me I was going to die and that I couldn't leave my triglycerides that high. And I couldn't stop. So I went, I did what you'd think a psychologist would do. And I knew most of the good psychologists in the New York area. So I went to talk to psychologists, trying to figure out what was eating me. And I learned an awful lot of soulful things about myself, but I couldn't get better. And then I went to Overeaters Anonymous for a lot of years, and I saw a psychiatrist to take some medication. And every piece of the puzzle, you know, it was a little bit of a journey, and it was all very soulful, but nothing worked. Finally, 
I did this big study. I decided that I'm, I decided that I would do a study for myself because I was doing all these studies for a big industry. And I think, well, it must be worth something because they pay me a bunch to do it. And so I did this study where I asked people what foods they struggled with. And I asked them what areas of life they were happy or unhappy with. And they told me, and I looked at the relationships, and I found three interesting things. The first one was that people who struggled with chocolate, and my binges always started with chocolate, they tended to be lonely or brokenhearted. People who struggled with um, chips or crunchy, salty things tended to be stressed at work. And people who struggled with uh, soft, chewy, starchy things, they tended to be stressed at home. And I thought that that was really interesting. So I figured that, okay, so now I have to figure out how to fig fix the part of me that feels lonely and brokenhearted. I, I was in a bad marriage and so it kind of made sense. And I can work with patients and if they tell me that they're struggling with salty, crunchy things, then I really dig into what's happening with them at work. But it didn't work and, and here's why. Um, I'll, I'll tell you in the form of a story. I, I talked to my mom who was also a therapist and I said, mom, this is what I found. And I'm, you know, I'm in a bad marriage. And so of course I'm a little lonely or brokenhearted, but where is the, um, where's the original match? What's the match that struck the fire? You know, you raised me, you must know something. And she got this horrible look on her face. She was really upset. And I said, mom, what is it? And she said, well, when you were about one year old, I was really depressed. I mean, really depressed because my, my father, your grandfather just got out of prison and I'd idolized him my whole life, but I didn't know that he was, um, I didn't know that he was doing this and he was guilty. And I was horribly depressed and my life didn't make sense anymore. And your father, my husband, was a captain in the army and they were talking about sending him to Vietnam. And so I was just terrified and depressed all the time. And I didn't have the wherewithal to feed you and hold you and love you in the way that you really needed to. So sometimes, I would be staring at the wall and you'd come running over me crying and I put a bottle of chocolate Bosco syrup in a refrigerator on the floor. And I said, Glenn, go get your Bosco. And you'd go running over to the bottle, open the refrigerator, take it out. And you'd suck on the chocolate Bosco until you went into a sugar coma. And that's what happened. And that's the match that struck the fire. And I'm sorry, honey. I'm really sorry. And so Steve, if, if this were the movies, I think that mom and I would have a big hug and a big cry and we'd forgive each other and I'd never have trouble with chocolate again. But it's, it's not the movies and that's not what happened. I mean, we, we had a big hug and a big cry metaphorically because this was over Skype. But my chocolate problem and my whole binge eating problem actually got worse. And the reason it got worse was because there was this voice inside me that said something like, hey, you know what, Glenn, you're right. Our mama didn't love us enough. And she left a big chocolate-sized hole in our heart. And until you can find the love of your life, you're gonna have to just go fill it with chocolate, go get some right now, yippee. It, it was like, it, it's like it justified the binge, it didn't solve the binge. And no, it's the reason why, that's how the original pattern got set up, but knowing why doesn't necessarily fix the problem. And it was from that that I learned that I was going down the wrong road. I was trying to figure out why. I was trying to figure out how to fix what was eating me. I was trying to love myself out of a food addiction. But 
I started to put together at that point that the part of the brain that the food industry is targeting, it, it doesn't know love. It knows eat, mate, or kill. It's the reptilian brain, the lizard brain. It's the kind of touch the back of your head and that's where it is. And when it looks at something in the environment, it just makes a decision, do I eat it, do I meet with it, or do I kill it? Love and family and relationships and spirituality and music and, and art and contribution and long-term plans and strategic goals, everything that we consider uniquely human, that lives in our upper brain, in our neocortex and somewhat in the mammalian brain. And its purpose, the purpose of the upper brain is to be able to plan for and inhibit those eat, mate, or kill impulses that are not going to serve all of those higher functions. And so if, if the food industry can get your lower brain to think that its food is a matter of survival, which is, I don't think they're doing anything less, they're engineering all of these hyper-palatable food-like substances of concentrations of starch and sugar and fat and oil and excitotoxins, and they're all engineered to hit our bliss point without giving us the nutrition we need to feel satisfied so that we're constantly looking for love at the bottom of a bag or a box or a container and we feel like we need these things to survive and fruit and vegetables don't have any appeal to us anymore you know I, it's this was not a place where loving myself more was going to fix things anything more than any more than if my bladder was telling me i had to pee in my mother-in-law's living room I wouldn't say, well, I need to love myself more. That's why I'm having this craving. I would say, no, we're not doing this here. I I'm in control, bladder. You, I understand you've got a need, but there's a particular place in a particular time in a particular way that I'll express that. And you're not in control, I am. So I suddenly realized that I had to be more like an alpha wolf dealing with the challenger for leadership. And when that alpha wolf is challenged for leadership, basically what it says is, get back in line or I'll kill you, right? I mean, they snarl and it's, it's not a pleasant interaction. And so suddenly I had this paradigm shift and part of that, I was helped by um, some alternative addiction treatment literature, J Jack Trimpey from Rational Recovery who works with drugs and alcohol, like black and white addictions that you can quit entirely as opposed to food where you, it's a much more complex behavioral economy and you have to take the lion out of the cage and walk it around the block a couple of times every day. But he helped me, his work helped me to understand the neurology of addiction. And he helped me to understand that I had to switch paradigms. And so here's what I did. This is really embarrassing. And I never expected I would be publishing this. I just kept the journal for eight years and, and I recovered myself. But I decided that my reptilian brain was going to be my inner pig. It's kind of an unfortunate metaphor. I wish I called it something that didn't bother so many people, but that's what I called mine. And I decided that I was going to draw very clear lines in the sand and make it like a black and white thing so that I would know when I was being healthy or not. It was akin to quitting alcohol or not. So I would say, I will never have chocolate Monday to Friday again. Very clear line. And then if I heard a voice in my head that said, hey, Glenn, you, know, you exercised enough today, you could have some chocolate but that was on a Wednesday, I knew that that was my pig. And I would say, I don't want that my pig does. Chocolate is pig slop. I don't eat pig slop and I don't let, I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. And as crazy as that sound, as, as crude as that is, at the moment of impulse, it started to give me those extra microseconds 
that I needed to wake up, remember who I was about food, remember what I wanted to accomplish, and um, and make the right decision. Make the right decision. And it, it wasn't a miracle, but it restored my sense of power, restored my sense of hope and enthusiasm. And slowly but surely, I started to journal about what my pig was saying and why it was wrong and kept a lot of notes. And it's constantly, I don't eat pig slop. I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. And I made other rules. You know, I, 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 made, I made some always rules. I always have five servings of fruit and vegetables every day or two glasses of water in the morning and made a bunch of conditional rules. Like I can only have pretzels in a major league baseball stadium. And it was all mine. I wasn't following any particular diet. I don't have my clients follow any particular, particular diet either. They, most people know what's healthy and what's not for them. And I would just be making these rules and then assigning all of the urges to my pig and saying, I don't eat pig slop. <laughs> I don't let a farm animals tell me what to do. And after 30 years of really suffering, I mean, there's nothing anybody in this audience has done with food that I haven't done, like eaten out of the garbage or off the floor or gone to seven different drive throughs so that nobody knows or stolen my roommate's food or eaten all of the dinner on the way home from picking it up for my family so that I had to go out and order another dinner. There's, there's nothing that I, I haven't done. And um, yeah, that's how I recovered. That's how, after 30 years of suffering, that's how I recovered. And I was never going to publish it. I happened to be a minor partner in a publishing company. And the CEO asked if he could publish a book to demonstrate a marketing technique. And I said, sure, it's probably just going to languish on Amazon someplace. Well, at first I said, look, I'm not going to get up there and say I have a pig in front of me, in, inside of me. And he said, this is really good. You have to do it. <laughs> and, and we did it. And it just took off. And we've got 500,000 readers. And it's helping a lot of people. We've got a whole community. It's, um, it's kind of a miracle. I pinch myself every day about it. So that's, that's what it is. That's what happened. All right. So think about all of the things that this can mean in your life and all of the struggles that you've gone through to this point. The nice thing is, is that you're not alone. There are solutions. There are people who have spent the time researching and have answers to help you. Um, like you said, I know this is an area I struggle with. And if you're struggling with uh, food issues as well, I really hope that you'll stick with us. There's more solutions to come right after this break because we really do want to help you get a handle on this so that you and I together can succeed in this life journey with food as we all strive to be thriving entrepreneurs. We'll be right back. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to WeHelp.com 
youthrive.com. Check us out and find out how you can be a best-selling author today. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. I'm here with Glenn Livingston. We're talking about his book and the program that he has that can help you never binge again. More exciting information coming up. Now we're going to talk about some real specific how-to things that can help us all be able to have a better relationship with food and eat healthy. So myself, as well as I'm sure probably everybody that's listening, it seems like everybody struggles with food in one way or another. Um, you know, too much or too little, it's all kind of the same struggle. So let's get into the nitty gritty of it. What, um, talk to me about practical steps. How does a person start? Okay. So first of all, you need to understand that willpower is a fatigable muscle and willpower is fatigued. So it's not like an on and off switch. It's more like gas in the tank. And you burn that gas every time you make a decision. Willpower is fatigued by decision-making. Not just decisions about food, but decisions about day-to-day problems. So if I make you do math problems for a half an hour, you're going to have a harder time resisting a marshmallow than if I put it in front of you right now. The implication of this is that rules are better than guidelines. We're told in our culture to you know, just eat well 90% of the time and indulge 10% of the time. But we're not really given a rule to help us understand which is the 90% and which is the 10%. And as a consequence, every time you're in front of your favorite binge food, you have to make another decision and you're burning more willpower. So what we want to do to start with is make one rule, not a guideline, but a rule. Think about what your single worst trigger food or behavior might be. Now, this doesn't doesn't have to be a rule that restricts food. It could be something that says, um, I will never eat standing up again. Because maybe you binge mostly when you're cooking for the family or you know, walking around and not thinking about it and just eating mindlessly. So I'll never eat standing up. Or I will always put my fork down between bites. Simple things like that can install a discipline that give you the pause that you need to break the fight or flight response, which is behind a binge, and activate your parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system to calm you down and take you out of survival mode so that you remember who you are and have choices again. So one simple rule, I, you know, I only eat flour at a restaurant or I never have dessert other than Thanksgiving, New Year's and Christmas. I'm just making it up. It's whatever would work for you. It should be something that you know would make a big difference, but simultaneously you don't feel overly restricted by it. You don't feel frightened of it. You don't feel overly restricted. You may be a little bit nervous, but it's something you would actually do for 90 days or so. And then you make this rule. And I would phrase it in terms of, for example, I will never eat flour other than at a restaurant again, which frightens people with the word never. But the reason we use that is that it's kind of like talking to a two-year-old. When my niece was little, she's two years old, I would say, Sarah, you you can never cross the street without holding your uncle's hand. Never, ever, 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 ever. Even though I knew when she was seven or eight years old, I was going to teach her to look both ways and cross. The reason that you'd say, well, am I lying to her? Does that not mean anything? No, it means everything. Because she's not capable of holding the fantasy of crossing the street someday without darting out on the street at two years old. 
it's too dangerous. It's the same thing with our reptilian brains. We present these rules to the reptilian brain, to our pigs or our lizards, as if they were set in stone. But we know that with enough reflection and uh, due consideration that we can change the rules whenever we want to. We don't let our pigs do it impulsively. We always have a 24-hour delay before we put it into effect. But we know we can change it any time we want to. So you don't have to be frightened of the word never. And you don't have to be frightened about feeling guilty either if you make a mistake because it's kind of like if you accidentally touch a hot stove, well, you want to feel that pain for a moment. It's okay to feel a little guilty and ashamed for a moment. So you pay attention and you say, how did I miss that? How am I going to avoid doing that in the future? How am I going to do better next time? But once you've analyzed it and made plans, there's no purpose to perseverating on the guilt. What you don't want to do is slam your whole hand down on the hot stove and say, oh my God, I am a pathetic hot stove toucher. There's no hope for me. I might as well just burn my whole hand off. But that's, that, that's, that's the way that you handle the guilt and the shame. It's acceptable, but only for a little bit but only for a little bit. If you find yourself getting carried away with that, you tell yourself that your pig wants you to get carried away with the guilt and the shame so that you feel too weak to resist the next binge. Excessive guilt and shame is actually binge motivated. That's a piercing insight. Most people don't know that. So once again, on a practical basis, what is the single worst trigger food or behavior that you're struggling with? How can you articulate a simple rule that would define the ideal way that you want to handle that. And then you start listening very carefully for that little voice in your head that tells you to break the rule. It's kind of a game. You make a rule and you listen to hear something in your head tell you to break it. When you hear those things telling you to break it, you look for the lie in that thing's logic. So maybe I have a rule that says, I will only ever have flour at a restaurant again and then I hear a little voice on my head that says, you know, you could start that rule tomorrow. You exercise a lot today. You're really pretty hungry. A day off doesn't matter. Be, you won't be any heavier tomorrow. It's fine. Well, the lie in that is that the research on neurology clearly shows that every bite you take is either extinguishing or reinforcing your addiction. And it's either extinguishing or reinforcing that pathway so every bite is an opportunity for self-love or self-harm. And if you choose to put off starting until tomorrow and you indulge today, you're actually digging a deeper hole for yourself. You're reinforcing those pathways so that it's going to be harder to not binge tomorrow than it feels today. Whereas if you get through the day, it's going to be qualitatively easier. So that's my practical advice. One rule, uh, if you hear any voice that says that you should break it, that's your pig. You say, I don't want that, that's pig slop. I don't need pig slop, I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. And you look for the specific squeal and find the lie or the illogical justification that it's trying to get by you in. And you disempower it by exposing the truth. Okay, so I'm sure now everybody that um, has a very well-established binge eating pattern um, has all kinds of squeals going on. Yeah. Let's start with, yes, but you don't understand. So uh, let's jump right into that. How do, we, um, how do we move beyond all of the yes buts to making that first step? Well, there are a couple of things. Part of the process involves understanding what you're giving up by continuing to eat the way that you eat. So if I were to continue to eat the way that I eat, I might not be alive today. 
I would likely have had a heart attack. I certainly would be living with a much higher risk of strokes and heart attacks and um, cancer or even erectile dysfunction. And, and my life would be nothing like what it is today. And if you go down the road 10 years or 20 years, you know, I'd, I'd be giving up a long, healthy life. So, so you think about what your life will be like if you fix the problem and project that out in detail a year or five years, 10 years from now to amplify your motivation. That's part of it. And then once you have that, then it's safe to look at all the yes buts. Uh, you don't understand I'm different. You don't understand I failed a million times before. How can I possibly do it again? I couldn't do it in the past, therefore I can't do it now. And you, you just put all of them on the table. Don't worry about finding an answer for it. Just get them all on the table first. What you're actually doing is draining the pig of its energy. And then once they're on the table, you go back to each one and you say, well, how do I dispute that? Well, the pig says, you don't understand I'm different. You know, my parents were heavy, therefore I'm doomed to be heavy genetically. Well, that's true and it's not true. When you look at the studies on genetic inheritance, maybe it accounts for 25 or 30% of the variance. I haven't looked for a while, so I don't have the exact number. But that means that there's 75% or 70% of factors that you can control. So maybe you're never going to be a supermodel, but you don't have to be, you don't have to be obese. You don't have to express exactly the way that your parents express. You can change a lot of things in your environment to, to fix that. Or maybe people, people say, well, I've never been able to do it before. I've tried a thousand things before and I always fail. So why do I believe I could do it now? It's, it's impossible. I'm just going to fail. I might as well give up. Well, if you get on a highway and you drive a thousand miles and you don't take an exit, does that have any bearing whatsoever on your ability to take the next exit? Or if you're driving on a boat in Lake Michigan and you've gone 10 miles in one direction and your wake extends straight behind you, does that have any bearing whatsoever on your ability to turn the wheel now? You know, the past, past performance is no guarantee of uh, future performance, like the stock market disclaimers. So um, you, 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 you elicit all of those squeals one by one, and then when you've got them all on the table, you disempower them. I, I have a lot of recorded sessions that I can give people for free. I can tell you where they can get them so you can hear how the process works. And I can, I can give people a copy of the book for free if you give me a second to tell them where it is. Um, so th that's what you do. Yes, I'm sure that by this point there are a ton of people that would love every resource you could possibly give to them because I know, I, you know, just even speaking for myself that um, you know, there's a lot of trying, but not necessarily a lot of succeeding. And, and it does become very disheartening to, to put in so much effort and then end up having, you know, be more cyclical than, you know, successful, if you know what I mean. Well, yeah. And then you start to feel like you're powerlessness, you're powerless and hopeless, and this is never going to be up and you should just give up and be happy the way that you are. And, um, I mean, Steve, I, I'm happy to come on a different time and coach you through it if you want. But the, the place they can get everything is at neverbingeagain.com. And if you click on the big red button for free bonuses and you sign up for the free reader bonuses, what you'll get is a free copy of the book in Kindle, Nook, or PDF format. There are also paperbacks and audibles, but there's a charge for that. You will get a 
copy of our food plan starter templates so that this program is diet agnostic. You can, you can use it with any plan that you want to. And we'll give you a set of sample rules for low carb versus macrobiotic versus point counters versus calorie counters versus high carb. It really doesn't matter what plan you're eating. You'll find something to get you started there just as examples. And probably most importantly, I've recorded about a hundred free coaching sessions. So you can hear, this is a very weird thing to talk about in theory to tell the story about. It must sound like I'm a really crazy psychologist talking about this pig inside me. But the truth is it's a very compassionate self-esteem enhancing process that restores people's hope and enthusiasm. And I wanted you to hear that. So you will also get a series of recorded sessions as you, as you, um, as you sign up for that. So there's a bunch more helpful stuff like a craving killer and a binge recovery audio tape and a whole bunch of other free stuff. I, my goal, I, I do want to make money also, but the overall goal is to help a million people a year to stop binge eating. And I worked it out so that the free book and the free materials can actually help you do that. So just go over to Never Binge Again and click the big red button. And that's neverbingeagain.com. Um, and then just give people a little sneak peek. So if they want to go deeper with you, um, what are you looking at cost-wise? What kind of programs do you have for them? Oh, we, we have a program we call the Unlimited Coaching Program, which is four weeks of group lectures and group coaching with me. And then a series of individual follow-ups for the next four months. As many as you need. Uh, there, there are a bunch of them. Um, you have to do some things between the sessions. You can't just call and, and, um, and not do anything. But you can have as many sessions as you want to if you actually do the homework that you and your coach agree on. It's not like a crazy assignment, but it's something you and your coach agree on. And that's, it's $500 in total. You can pay it over five months, so it comes to under $100 a month. And then you, the individual follow-ups are done by my coaches. If you want to do that with me, there's an option to do that, but it's a little more. And then we also have a program that will teach you to help other people in the way that we help people. And um, if you just just click the big red button and sign up for that list, you'll be led to everything from there. I don't know about any of the other listeners, but I'm on my way over right now uh, to neverbingeagain.com to get all that free stuff. And I'm already contemplating paid programs. So Glenn, I really appreciate it. I mean, I know that we could have probably gone two or three hours talking about all of this. Yeah, no, 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 I'm serious. If you want me to come on and coach you, I'm happy to do that. I really appreciate it. And I know that the listeners will as well. Thanks. It was nice to talk to you. I hope all of you will go to Never Binge Again and get that information. I know that I've already looked at it. I've already referred it to my wife. And we're really interested in diving deeper on this subject with Glenn. We're really grateful for him coming and sharing this great information. I know I need it. Um, and I know that if you're in a place where you're struggling with food, that you'll be grateful to have it in your life too. It's important for all of us to not live in judgment, to not beat ourselves up, but to just simply acknowledge who we are and where we are, and then be able to find the resources that are gonna help us live our best life. More than anything, when we're doing that on a regular basis, that really does define what it means 
to be a thriving entrepreneur. We'll be right back. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for being with us today. I hope that the information that we presented to you today will have an impact in your life, that it'll help you because it's so important that each of us share the things that we've been through, both the good and the bad, and the lessons that we've learned. Um, It's so easy for us to look at an Oprah, a Tony Robbins, um, you know, and say, Wow, they're so amazing. I mean, they have it all together. Um, and first of all, I know because I've, I've I've heard both of them talk enough about it that neither of them would claim perfection. They just have done a really good job of walking through life and presenting to the world everything that they know, continuing to learn and know more And then as they learn and grow, also presenting that to the world. And that's really what we want to do. We really want to take what we know so far and share it with the world. There's always somebody that's five steps, 10 steps, 20 steps. It may feel like it's a million steps ahead of you. Um, The place that they've achieved in life may feel sometimes unsurmountable impossible to ever get to. The good news is is that it may feel that way, but that's not true. You will reach that. You can continue to grow until you get to one point to a point at one day where you actually are finding yourself living the life that you used to look at someone else and be like, I never can achieve that place. You can live in a purpose and in a greatness that is beyond all that you can ask or even think of. It's yours. It's there for you. But here's the other side to the equation. While we're busy looking at other people, finding good examples for our life, there are people that are five steps, ten steps, twenty steps, that feel like they're a million steps behind you. They look at your life, where you are right now, the things that you've achieved, the things that you've overcome, and they are thinking about you, what you're thinking about that person that you feel like is a million steps ahead of you. 
they feel like at this point that height of greatness that you've reached, that thing that you've overcome, those things that you do in life with grace and ease so easily that you probably discount that they're actually as impactful and powerful as they are. There's someone looking at you saying, wow, I can never be like that. Isn't that amazing? Oh, to strive for that. Because even if I never get that far, think of how amazing my life will be as I get closer and closer to that. But you see, a lot of times we hide our message. We hide what we've learned so far under a barrel. We stay in our house, not because, you know, our best life is being home-based, but because we're at home hiding. We actually should be out speaking, talking, doing a podcast, writing a book, and we're hiding We're staying away from it. I work with so many people on their books on a daily basis, and it's such a blessing. Kathy and I love helping present people's stories to the world. But all too often, I hear the same thing from somebody. They've been working on their book for months, years, sometimes even decades. They've got this message inside of them, and the fear or the self-doubt has gotten in the way and they've never presented it to the world. Here's the deal. While each of us spends time hiding what we know, what we do so simply and gracefully, while we have it hidden away from the world, There's somebody out there looking for the solution to be able to do the thing that you do so easily that you may not even count it as a talent. They needed it yesterday. They needed it last week, last month, last year. They may have needed it for the decade that you've known you should share it, but you haven't. Now, I don't say that to put you in judgment or criticism because I don't like living in that place. I do it to inspire you. I love how Lisa Nichols said the other day and many times since that I've heard her say, your message was never about you. It's about the people that you're meant to serve. I love it when Kathy does her Facebook Lives because she will often point out to you That someone is waiting on you. Their breakthrough, their next, is contingent upon, waiting on you to share your message with the world. And as long as any of us holds back from sharing that unique brilliance that we have, There's somebody who isn't getting the breakthrough that they need. Now, why did I go on and on and on about that? Well, one, because I'm very inspired by what Glenn did. It's exactly a breakthrough that I needed. But also because I want you to share your message with the world. And while you're sharing that message, 
I want you to write it down. I want you to get it in written form out there and published so that it's available in wide distribution to everybody in the world. And while you're writing that book, why not make it a bestseller? We want to celebrate you. We want to help you take that journey. And we invite you to come join us and all of the other authorpreneurs that are part of our society that we've put together. It's called Bestsellers Guild. It really is a family of like-minded people who are somewhere on their journey from contemplation to completion of being a published best-selling author. I got the chance to tell somebody again just yesterday, no matter whatever else happens, once your book becomes a bestseller, you'll be a bestseller forever. Your great-great-great-great-grandchildren can talk about how great-grandmommy was a best-selling author. That's amazing. That's exciting. And I want to see you succeed. It takes a simple step. It's free to come and join us at bestsellersguild.com. It's a Facebook-based group. Ask to join. We will approve you. And we will take you on this journey to be able to share your message with the world. To make the change in the world that only you can make. Because you see, you are uniquely brilliant. There's nobody else that is you and can do what you do. You were created on purpose with a purpose. Something unique and special. And the world needs you. Kathy and I are here to help you live every day of your life as a thriving entrepreneur. To share your message with the world. To make the difference that only you can make to the people that you're meant to serve. I encourage you, don't hide your light under a bushel but rather share your message with the world. And in the sharing, that's where you will find that you are living every day of your life as a thriving entrepreneur. Until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. 
Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today.